And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns. And unlike usual, I am not joined by the Autism Sage. She is off busy being, well, the Autism Sage. But I still wanted to get an episode out to you guys because this topic I've wanted to talk about for a very long time. I want to get into the idea and the challenges faced by autistic people in employment and securing employment, working, basically finding a job. And some of the struggles that a lot of autistic young adults and not so young adults face. Recently, I saw some uh, disturbing numbers, which we'll get into, uh, regarding autism and employment. So I thought, let me do an episode, even though I don't have Stacy, And I should do this the right way. So let me go reach out some experts, some people who have degrees, people who have certifications, people who have a whole can of alphabet soup next to their name, alphabet people as I like to call them, and get a nice professional uh, panel going of of guys of, of guys and women who can help explain this sort of stuff. But then I thought, fuck that, and I got Henry and Ryan. I was about to say, why'd you pick us then? Yeah, I was about to wonder, like, where do we factor into that? Because I don't, because then I remembered, oh, wait, I don't trust experts whatsoever. Stacy's the only person I trust. And like I said, she's not here. So um, I'll give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. Ryan, the, the audience already knows you, but uh, in case we have some new viewers, uh, can you tell them who you are? <laughs> well, then, hello, new viewers. I'm Ryan. Me and Torin have known each other for, God damn, how long has it been now? Like, over 10 years, easily. Oh, this is, this is going to be one of those ones where I have to bleep out the curses. This is going to be one of those ones where, like, every 30 seconds, this is going to be dead air. <laughs> <laughs> I can make it harder for you, but no. No, no, feel free to. I, I'm not censoring myself. I don't give a shit. But no, yes, I am a, a diagnosed autistic person, and I've had quite a few jobs, and I actually just found another one, so, woo. Wait, really? Yeah. I'm going to be working at Staten Island starting Monday. Nice. We'll talk about that over there. Henry. Uh, tell them who you are. You've been on the podcast. You haven't been on the podcast since like our like second week of record. Well, like second month. It's been a long ass time. It's been a very long time. Very long time. Uh, okay. I I have known Torin. I think since high school. Yeah, it was we've known each school. other longer than I've known Ryan. Yeah, I think it was like the first. Actually, I might have seen you first day of high school. That's been over 10, 11 years now. More. Uh, Oh, 2008. That's so uh, that's oh Jesus, that's almost 15 years. Oh my God. Oh God. <laughs> Christ, we're old. Jesus. Uh, don't worry, we don't have gray hairs coming in yet. I, uh, I don't have hair. Period. I do. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's good. So you can uh, kind of hide it longer than we can. Yeah, but you can. You can't hide something you don't have. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so I work in uh, Brooklyn. I have probably jumped through, I want to say, six, seven jobs. I sort of fell right into it during my last year of college and then proceeded to never finish college. So you, you, you were working before you were working before college. You remember we worked at, we're not going to say the name of any place you worked at, except Ryan, who just got a job. But we, we worked at that place. At, on, on the island, and that was before college. So that was before college. I worked odd jobs here and there. I worked with family companies. I worked with a organization in the city for a while. I worked in an artist sweatshop. That was pretty cool. 
I worked in an artist's fun shop, as you pointed out. I'm an illustrator as well. Uh, so I got to experience that firsthand. I worked in, uh, ironically, two artist sweatshops. I didn't learn my lesson the first time. And then the second time, I finally got it. Too late, I think. But uh, after that, I ended up, uh, ended up with a job currently right now where I've been there for three years, actually, since. And it's kind of just grown slowly. It's probably one of the most stable ones I've had. Henry's a professional illustrator, first and foremost. He sort of alludes to that. Um, Ryan is he's he's a trained zoologist, so most of his most of his jobs he basically just goes from around the city from one zoo to the other. Yeah, like the last time he was working, uh his boss found him in the caves, the monkeys and some compromising positions, and that's how he ended up out of the job. I'm gonna have to hear this one sometime. It wasn't a monkey, it was an alligator. I'm really gonna have to hear this. <laughs> listen, so, so some people are listen. Some people are subs. I do not kink Shane here. Some people are subs. <laughs> oh, right, right. This is not Henry. This is not a kink shaming podcast. We are open minded. Okay, I let, let me get this back. We are open. Yeah, we are open minded, and I will be open minded about his kink. Like, <laughs> You're gonna be open minded about making fun of me. That's for sure. Exactly. I implied that. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I want, the reason I want to do this podcast is obviously a lot of autistics struggle with employment and they struggle to maintain jobs. And one of the things I want to talk about is a lot of the narrative around this is based off finding a job, in particular interviewing, 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 which I'm going to get into because that can be tough, but that's been sort of done a lot. I want to talk about some of the struggles actually in the workplace and maintaining jobs. That's what I want to start with. And then we'll get to actually finding jobs in the second part of the episode. But what are some of the struggles that you guys have faced while working? I've talked about some of the struggles that I've had, and I might go into it once you guys do, but I really want to get into how lack of accommodations sort of screw us for lack of a better word. Um, Ryan, you want to kick us off? Sure. And the lack of accommodations really comes into play because in today's modern times, the only real jobs you can find without a lot of experience right out of the gate is retail. Any job that pay, any job that pays well requires a ton of qualifications that you're probably not going to get because you didn't realize it while sitting through college. So you're going to go in the retail or, or some type of entry level job. And they don't care about you. They don't. You're a disposable cannon fodder to them. So they make no accommodations whatsoever to help you out. So every day is basically just, you're kind of fighting the corporation a little bit. It's, it's a grunt job. That's the thing. There's I refer to them as grunt jobs. Entry-level jobs tend to be, unless you're super talented, and one of the things that kind of annoys me is all this discussion of like accommodations and things like that have the assumption that we're working in jobs where people give a shit about us. Like, if you're working in retail, if you're working as a janitor, if you're working, which I've done, if you're working in sales, if you're if you're working in, I, I do a lot of stuff in, in youth development, in child care, in teaching, they don't care because they can just replace you with somebody else who doesn't Listen, need those accommodations. Pixar. Pixar literally just fired the woman who saved Toy Story 2. No, no corporation gives enough of a damn about you that they will hold on to you if they- I, I will agree, but like corporations like Google, if you're a tech genius, will help take care of you because they view you as valuable. Really the reason we're not taken care of in grunt jobs is because we're viewed as non-valuable. We're viewed as expendable. 
So I think that's something that can't be overlooked is a big reason for a lack of accommodation is simply we're seen as replacement. But so what are some of the, what are some of the, and I guess I'll, I'll start off with Brian again. What are some of the struggles you've had at your various jobs? Well, one of them is just the long out, is it the, the effort required? You work long hours, you barely get any breaks, so you're running around on your feet for hours at a time. You don't, you don't get to stop. You're constantly working. You, you don't move at all. Your boss basically screams at you. Yep. There's all these requirements a lot of these corporations have that you have to do too that involves being uncomfortable. Like when I was working in retail, they had us try to promote their new membership program. And I had to go find random people and talk to them and try to get them to sign up for this program. They I've, done, I've, I've been there. I've had, to, I've, had to, I've had to hawk stuff to, to people that I don't believe in. That's not fun. Yeah. Now, that's obviously is. not easy for most autistics to go up to strangers and try to sell something. That's something not a lot of people can do in general and make that seem good. Most autistic people struggle with, uh, I think it's called projection sensitivity dysphoria, something something along those lines. Basically, we don't deal well with possibility of rejection. So like yep. when I say don't deal well, I mean mental collapse type don't deal well. So it's yeah. hard to go up to someone and try to sell something because effectively you're opening yourself up to likely rejection. That's actually the ability to be a good salesman is a natural ability. It really is. And not everybody has it. And most autistic people don't have it, especially if we're being forced to sell things that we don't believe in. And oftentimes, I've had this happen to me, jobs, you'll get hired to a certain job. Like your job is to work the register or your job is to clean the floors or work the front desk. And then out of nowhere, they'll be like, oh, well, we have these new line of uh, bullshit products. Uh, we used to have a joke on this podcast called the uh, Lipschitz family of autism curing products. Like that, that's what that is. They want you to hawk these awful products and you have to like, we're not going to be able to do that. We don't believe in them and we struggle socially. And then we get penalized for not being good at it. It's unfortunate. And uh, in my experience, the sad thing is you do better with selling of a product or in anything if you can kind of convince yourself that it's not bullshit. And that's not always possible because the vast majority of what you said is literally junk, literally bullshit. Every now and then you get lucky and there's something that does have some legitimate use or you work selling, you work retail in a field where a lot of what you're selling is legitimate use and you yourself might have used it. So it's easier to pitch it because you know this item works, this subscription works. But a lot of the time you don't have that. A lot of the time you're critical of the products that you're selling. That is so true. You're lying, you're basically lying to some degree. And another thing I think they, like autistics, uh, I don't think they cover enough is like, we're, well, we can lie, but we kind of just don't like to promote something that doesn't function for us. It doesn't function in general. And and, and I'll get to, to asking you the same question I asked Ryan in a second, but I just want to add that too, there's also a more underlining issue of a lot of autistic people if you tell us what we're supposed to do, we'll do it. If you give us a list and give us a chance to digest it and figure out how to how to figure out these tasks or finish these tasks or achieve these tasks. But when you just spring stuff on us, which a lot of jobs like to do, just spring random jobs that were not in the description when we interviewed, 
that's when things tend to go a little bit sideways. So I think what you guys are saying speaks to a larger problem. But Henry, uh, I'll give you a chance to answer that question. What are some of the struggles you faced in your jobs? And I must say, uh, we might have to do the abridged version because if we list, had you list out all the issues you've had over the last decade, we'd be here for three hours and just you listing stuff. Well, I'll give you <laughs> more or less the, <laughs> the very, very, very abbreviated. I'll not give you the book, I'll give you the pamphlet. Uh, really where it mostly started was at first, especially when it came to jobs that I had starting in, while I was going to school part-time or in the majority was balancing time. That is something I feel is not covered enough because uh, jobs usually demand that you give some dedication of time, some dedication of focus, some dedication of effort and executive function to them. Or at least and, pretend to do so. Or at least pretend to. And the transition from work mode to class mode to home mode is a big thing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those points where it can be exhausting going from one to the other. Sometimes you can experience burnout just from like a heavy day of work and going home and even to function that night or the next day that is a lot easier said to said than done and that was something i remember i struggled a lot with now I've, over time i've kind of built up a system that roughly helps with it but it is something i still struggle with and i'd say that was like number one number two is workplace relations that's not that's not fun henry just kept henry just kept sleeping with all of the co all of his co-workers men and women he just kept sleeping with everybody it was awful dude i wish that would have made things a whole lot easier than what it was i the really i really hope your girlfriend isn't listening to this one <laughs> she'll laugh then punch me then she'll keep laughing but um really the hardest thing is at first you go in and you kind of, you almost have this urge to be mechanical about how you go about your work and your tasks on the job. And the first few months, I'm just gonna say on any new job, it's gonna be like that. Now, what'll determine whether or not you'll be able to stay stable at that job or, or start to collapse if it, as more tasks get added is you need to connect, I think, with somebody there, either a coworker, a coworker, a regular customer, somebody that you can kind of have some positive social interaction. It's not easy, especially when you're autistic. That's really not easy. But if you do, it takes a lot of the stress and it helps make the time and energy that you have to put into the executive functions of the job easier. At least that's what I've discovered over time. And what are some things you guys think you could do to well, not you as an individual, what do you think society or companies could do to help alleviate some of the struggles that you and maybe other autistic people might be having in their work spots? I know that's a very vague question, so it's maybe try to keep it central to your experiences, but or whatever. I definitely would say factor in travel time. That's something else that can become a really big issue, I even to autistics. Uh, there is coming home. There's the commute. There's understanding that the commute may not be easy or stable. Like I remember in some of the earlier places I worked, the commute could be extremely unstable depending on how the trains would work or delays that would happen very, very regularly uh, along specific main lines. 
And there's also the prep to commute. You have to make sure your clothes are clean. You got to make sure you're clean. You have to get everything ready to go. You have to be you have to be ready to leave at a specific time. You have to prevent certain habits from forming, like assuming that you can get there within a general time. You got to give yourself a little extra, especially for the reason I just pointed out, the transit might not work properly. So, and if the transit doesn't work properly, you have to have alternative routes available because that's not because that's not a guarantee either. And most jobs don't want to hear that you can't get there. They want to just hear that you can get there. There's not really any leniency in terms of that. No, well, I agree. I think, I think what jobs could do is, is like I had one job where it took me two trains to get to this job and, it, and a, lot, a lot of walking. It took like almost an hour and a half. And both trains I take regularly fail on weekends because of various projects or just because the city in general is terrible with public transit. So a lot of companies really could have the option of you calling a car service like an Uber or a taxi. And a lot of them could need to compensate you for that to make sure you can get to your job on time. Some of them claim to do, but I don't know how many of them actually follow up on it. That's the problem. And most people don't even know that's an option. So like, they don't even think about that. To them, it's like, okay, I show up late or I spend the crap ton of money on the car. Exactly. And I think that's, that's an issue too, because a lot of jobs simply don't take that into account. Like, for example, Henry worked a job where they expected him to work till about 12 or 1 a.m. and then show up again at like 8 or 9 a.m., which is actually illegal in New York. That's very illegal. That's a problem for everyone. Yeah, but they, they got around it by basically name, by telling him he was a contractor and writing him down as a 1099. I don't mean to yeah, go like that. Oh, sorry. Uh, they would also they also canceled hours with that. They canceled hours I work when I work too many without giving justification or reason why, which is also illegal. Never let anybody do that to you. They can't just say we're cutting your hours. They have to give you a reason why. They're not permitted to actually just remove hours, and some will try to do that. Yes, that's actually. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. I would say check your your uh, employment laws if you're autistic or you're a parent of an autistic adult. Check the employment laws in your state. Because companies will try to skate around that. In this case, they basically named him a contractor where that get around that rule about needing 12 hours in between shifts. So that became a problem. Henry lived about an hour away from the job and relied on public transit. So if he had to leave in the middle of the night where public transit is the most unreliable, he wouldn't get home like 3, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and then they expect him to be back five hours later. That, yeah. Like that's, and, and he didn't get paid extra to do this, by the way. Like no, they did those, not. And, and if he didn't do it, they just fire him. So those sort of things. Be very you sleep in the office at that point. Yeah. Just so you, you have to be it. careful because they will try to take advantage of you, especially if they think you're uh, mentally deficient because yeah. people are bigots. So if they think you're mentally deficient and especially a lot of autistic people feel the need to just compulsively follow directions. So they will take advantage of that. They will 100% take advantage of that. So make sure you look up the labor laws so you can hold companies accountable. I'm glad you brought that up. Check your pay stubs too. If whether you get direct yeah. deposit or an actual check, make sure it's consistent with the hours you're supposed to be getting. Exactly. A lot of times they won't pay you for overtime or they'll find some excuse to shorten your pay. And if they do that long enough, you can build a case against them. You can build a very strong case against them. So definitely take measurements of that. Uh, if you have like a sheet that you have to fill out based on your hours, take pictures of that regularly. 
so that you have hard proof because they will try to skimp on hours if they can. Yeah, they'll they, never take your word on it. If you're going against a corporation or word for word, they'll never side with you. You need yeah, hard evidence. Corporation, sometimes small business owners, if they feel they can get away with you, they're going to try to. Yep. So you kind of have to be a little prickly. You can't be agreeable all the time. You can be a little prickly. In fact, if anything, that might get you a little respect with them because they understand, oh, this person isn't just going to be shoved around. Now, that's unlikely, but it's a potential positive outcome. I'm not so, saying it's so considering we are effectively characters in a young adult dystopian, like the beginning of the book where everything's awful, what are some of the things you guys do in your personal lives, like on an individual level, to try to cope and work around these lack of supports that are being given or not given, I guess? Well, for me, part of the problem is, like, let's say I'm having a bad day at work. It takes me forever to get home. You can't just always transition from work to home mode because you don't just go home, sit in your bed and go to sleep. You know, you got to make yourself food. You got to shower depending on the day. You got to get ready for tomorrow. And so there's a lot more stuff that has to be done. You don't have as much. So you need to, you need good time management. Like you need yep. to be able to you need to give yourself as much help as possible. Like set reminders. Don't take very long with stuff. Try meal prepping. I'd say if that can help, so you don't have to like make food all the time, especially for breakfast, because most of the time you're just going to get up and go if you have a long commute. You're not going to spend yep. a lot of time at home before leaving. Definitely. And also, I'd say do that. Also, definitely uh, take advantage of planners. If you can get them daily planners, weekly planners. Uh, remember, your phone usually has a calendar feature that lets you jot down when specific things are due down to time periods. It's not always easy. You might not be able to keep on top of it, but it's good to have the list down somewhere based on things you need to do. Yeah, as long as you write it down somewhere, you're more likely to remember it on your own, which is important. So the more places yeah, you write it down, the more likely you remember. And it's yeah. good if you have a job interview, because you really can't afford to be late for that. That's a very bad impression. So yeah, don't be late to your job interviews. That's a. I feel like I shouldn't have to say that. Like that's sort of common sense. Don't show up late to job interviews. Don't show up wearing sweatpants, unless you really just don't care about the job and you just want to see if you can get it without trying. I've done that. But uh, don't generally don't show up late. Show up like halfway presentable. That's I'm not covering because that's like common sense stuff. I'd say in terms of interviews go for that happy medium i'd say formal business casual don't overdo it to the point where you're uncomfortable because that will affect the interview as well yeah and it really depends on the job too we're actually going to get into that but i guess it's a good time to uh advertise the book all three of us are working on it's a autistic self-help book called everything is your fault the reason why poverty is a moral failing and in that book, we talk about a lot of stuff we're talking about now, how you shouldn't expect accommodations because that's communism. So instead, you <laughs> should do everything yourself. And if you're struggling, that's because you struggle, you have poor moral character. And that's, we, we, we have, we have all sorts of tips. Remember, the book is everything is your fault. And we, we couldn't get the domain name for that because that got taken by some right-wing grifters. But we do have, <laughs> but we what we were able to get the main. This is definitely a grift.com. So make sure I'm going to say it again. Go to this is definitely a grift.com, <laughs> and put in the promo code shitbag. 
and we'll give you 10% off of the book. So there will be a 10% markup for ordering online. But you do get 10% off, so it, it kind of evens out. So remember, that's everythingsagrip.com and put in the promo code SHITBAG to get 10% off. Okay, so back to the episode. It's so bad because... <laughs> I'm clearly joking, but it's, it, it's almost there, true. There are things out there that operate basically <laughs> along the lines of what you just said. Like, they're like, unfortunately, 80% of the quote, self help job things I've seen and advertisements, books, and programs, they basically operate along that line. I didn't realize we were all Jordan Peterson now. Are we going to share some very, very illegal stuff in our social media now? Yeah. Oh my god. They're very, very illegal. Okay. I am serious though. I, I, I do wanna I do wanna go over the in- interview stuff because I asked you guys a couple days ago to come on because I wanted to do this episode. And in between then and now, I saw some stats that were uh disturbing. So according to Bureau of Labor and Statistics, I got the word right, as one of the words I chose to pronounce. Um sixty-six percent of autistic young adults are unemployed, which is horrifying. And it gets worse. 85% of autistics with a college degree, so these are people with at least four years of education, are unemployed. 85, so 85 out of 100 are unemployed with a college degree. So simply getting a degree not only doesn't guarantee you a job, it actually apparently makes your odds worse somehow. I'm not sure why that is. I have some theories. I could label, I could uh, venture a guess if I could. Uh, this is just me personally. Uh, a lot of times, like you said earlier, autistics, we are kind of compelled to do what is laid out for us, what is perceived as the straight route path forward that everybody else is supposed to do. We go to college and I guarantee you what happens is you put so much effort into making sure everything is well, that you get top of your class, you burn yourself out. So what happens is even though you have that degree, you're a hot mess mentally, socially. Heck, you might have actually functioned you better to go and build up a resume where you could at least get some of those other skills and not wreck yourself. I do think burnout plays a role. I suspect that too. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I wasn't quite thinking along those lines. That is a very good point about burnout. I was thinking more along the lines of what you said about following the rules and sort of going step by step. Because as you know, the it's not like it was in like, I don't know, the 70s and 80s where simply just doing X, Y, and Z guarantees you or has a heavy chance of getting a job. But I didn't think of burnout either. That's a good point. Academia, and this is a topic for another day, academia is can be very harsh on autistic people for all the same reasons that employment is. So a lot of times you come out if burnt out. you're paying out, them to screw you over. And it's exactly, that's the difference. If anything, it's worse because you're giving them oogles of money. Like, I owe so much money to uh, the college that me and Ryan went to that, like, like like our former president, I, too, am in debt to Vladimir Putin. So <laughs> it's, I, it's, a, it's a lot of money, folks. So, um, yeah, that's so I think that is one reason. But it's, just, it, 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 it's horrifying. There's no, no other word to put it. The numbers like that are horrifying. On top of that there, uh, I actually would argue against it, what you pointed out about the 70s and 80s. I would actually argue... It's also 80% based on how well you can network and socialize with people. Even in the 70s and 80s, you look at a lot of pictures or events uh, or images of the working man who works his way up, joking with the superiors, 
getting close to them, being friends with them. They have them. Oh, they have their work buddies over at the house. That goes a long way to moving yourself up in any kind of position. And unfortunately, that's not covered. That's not mentioned mainly because I think there's kind of an element of, oh, we don't really, we want to try to sell the concept of hard work. We don't want to admit that, yeah, it is 80% who you schmooze to or discuss with or become pals with at the company or business. Even today, I'd argue that's actually a huge point. Like, you become best buddies with the manager, congratulations, a whole bunch of doors just opened for you. You're not best buddies with the manager and you're just on a strictly professional day-to-day encounter. Doors might not open no matter how much effort you put in. Yeah, unfortunately, brown nosing is a uh, successful strategy that pretty much dates back to like since people had power over other people, unfortunately. And you bring up a good point. Autistic people were, I wouldn't say we're not as strong socially. We're not as strong as the, we're not as strong as understanding and playing by the social rules that are oftentimes expected in a lot of situations, including the workplace. So we tend not to have those sort of networking and those connections. So autistic people are then reliant on just being really, really good at the job. So if you're someone who's lucky where you're like a tech genius, for example, or you're like an engineer, you're something where the average person can't do your job. You might be really successful. That's another thing. You look at the numbers, there's massive stratification between the haves and have-nots. If you have certain abilities that our economy deems to be valuable, and you're good at those jobs, you'll be okay. They'll put up the fact you don't have social skills. But if you're a regular person, you have to have something that makes you stand above other people. That's the sort of society we live in. And autistic people don't have that sort of that sort of ability, like I said, to schmooze and brown nose. And that's a real issue. Um, but to, to go back to, to, to interviewing, what are you we, we've all interviewed for a bunch of jobs because we've all bounced around i think i've worked like a dozen different jobs because i specialize in getting fired i've been fired well i'm trying to what's the earliest i've been fired i got fired from a job and like if you don't count training i got fired in three days i think that's my record you count training it's a week and a half but i think that's my record is three days of actually being on the job of getting shit canned uh, so I've done a lot of different interviewing, but what are some of your experiences with interviews and what are some of the things you struggle with? I'll get to answering the question, but I do want to make a point real fast. I think that is some politician shit right there. Like I'll answer your question, but first I gotta I, I gotta say I, I gotta say my campaign stump speech like my donors <laughs> will pay me. <laughs> the interview process is at least for me the worst part of getting the job by far. It's like the it's the most stressful for sure. Because you got because you, you think you, you got it. You, you do the prep. You know, you talk to yourself in the mirror for like three days straight answering questions. You think you understand it. Then you go to the actual interview. And they throw you a bunch of curveballs right off the bat. That, and then you're just like stumped. Like it's a hard process. You have to constantly maintain eye contact. You have to keep an eye on your body posture while not looking like you're doing that. You got to be subtle. You got to answer their questions quickly and as honestly as you think you can without making yourself like a bad candidate. And they will in every interview place has its own curveball you gotta be ready for that. Well you can't really be ready for it. You just gotta adjust. It's almost that's almost oxymoronic. The whole point is they want to throw you something you're not expecting because I think they want to make sure they don't get a canned answer. 
but the result is with a lot of autistic people is you just get like silence and stumbling and you get frozen i get frozen a lot with some of these and it takes me i have to tell them like i'm sorry that's a hard question can i have can i have a minute to think about response i'm glad you're able to advocate for for yourself and most of these questions don't even like line up with the actual job like at least in my experience i'd say 95 percent of the questions have nothing to do with the job i'm actually applying for or whether or not i can do said job they ask a question that's not into the job description of, of when you applied so it's like well what's all this now i'm applying to be a janitor and they pull out like a long algebraic equation like can you solve this i'm like pretty sure i, I don't need to, to stop <laughs> i applied to register why do i have to know the different types of floor cleaner I know, right? I'm I'm pretty sure I don't need to solve this equation to like clean the floors. But Henry, what are what what are some of your experiences with interviewing? I've only really done a few. A lot of my jobs uh have, like I said before, they've been partially networked, partially people I knew. In some cases I stumbled into them, but that's another discussion. Uh really my experience with uh, interviews is like I said, try not to go in something that you're you're comfortable that looks formal-ish. I remember the first one I went, even with a coat, shirt, uh, pants, and shoes. Oh, I overdressed. It was for yeah, you can overdress for and people don't tell you that you can overdress for interviews, and you just look like a jackass. Oh yeah. If you don't know what to wear, you can always send an email and ask. A lot of companies appreciate that, so you don't end up wearing a monkey suit to a zoo interview. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If you're going to a supply store for an interview, you don't have to really overtly dress up. Dress formal-ish business casual so that you know they know that you take the interview seriously but you don't look like a jackass who's just borrowed his father's suit yeah all right don't do khaki, that khaki pants because, a nice plain button-down shirt maybe even a bow tie and a nice pair of shoes that aren't like flashy sneakers is usually I'd the way you could i'd say depending on the place you could drop the bow tie uh I remember one of my interviews, I was dressed, the same interview, I was dressed up really nice. The interviewee was wearing a tank top and a fleece-lined hoodie. And I felt not only overdressed, I felt out of place. And that did not help the interview. The interview turned into a complete disaster as a result of that. Yeah, I've been well, there. Yeah, it could, throw you, it could throw you in a bad spot right out of the gate. And I think for a lot of autistics, that's hard to bounce back because you don't really have time to bounce back. I always, I always worry about underdressing because I've had that issue where I've underdressed sometimes. Usually these reasons involve like I'm working at another job and I'm trying to get out of that job. And I don't like when I was working as a teacher, I you had the place I worked, you, you didn't wear button down shirts and stuff. You wore like they had a polo shirt with company logo on it and all that stuff. So there'd be times where I didn't have time to change. I didn't have room in my bags. I'd have books and papers and stuff that you need that I need for my job. So I'd have to just go to the interview dressed in whatever whatever I was wearing for the job. So I didn't have time to change because nothing was close to where I lived. I was doing a lot of traveling. And underdressed, I would feel so awful. I'd feel so so like cheap and dirty. I'd love dressing up, even if I don't have to, putting like the shirt, uh, the button-down shirt, tie and a suit, unless like 90 degrees out, yeah. but like the suit. I love wearing all of that because I, I, I feel I, I feel special. Like I feel like I have money. Maybe it's like real poor, but like when I'm dressed up, I feel like I have money. So like I love dressing up and stuff. And I feel like dressing how you're comfortable is important too, because obviously you're going to interview better if you're comfortable. I'm comfortable in a shirt and tie. In fact, it puts me in the place I need to be because I'm like, I'm not some dude 
from the projects wandering into a job that I'm probably unqualified for. I'm like, I'm that nigga. Like, I'm wearing the shirt and the tie. I look nice. So I, I feel like it really varies on where you're, obviously, where you're applying to, but also, like, type of personality. If you're not in the shirts and ties and you don't like how that feels, don't wear that because it's going to mess up your interview. Yep, you're going to feel very rigid if you go into that, uh, especially if you're not used to the feeling. It's, again, especially autistics. We are very touch and uh, texture sensitive. If you're not used to wearing a stiff shirt and tie, that's going to throw you but off. You you're an artist. You never you never wear a shirt and tie. Like with me, we never in high school. My last year of high school, uh, I wore a shirt and tie. I didn't have to. I wore a shirt and tie every day because I, 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 I was going through some stuff at home where I needed the confidence boost. So I, I needed to feel like I look good. But you, I think I've seen you in like a tie, like maybe twice in the 15 years I've known you. One of them was your high school graduation. So yeah, uh, I tend not to wear them. I feel like it's a good bit of flair if you're going to wear the jacket. But if the situation isn't that formal, it's an over embellishment. One thing I'm going to say is this, uh, a tie with just a shirt looks obnoxious. Like a tie is something that's supposed to accent the jacket. So yes. unless you got that, I would disagree. I would. You can. You can. <clears throat> depends on how. And this is now. This is going into fashion advice. And here's a little tip, folks. Don't take your fashion advice from three autistic men. Just don't. <laughs> like the only thing you can learn from fashion advice from three autistic men is you're the cops and you're trying to find like a tire that will keep your UC from getting made. <laughs> You bring them out in front of a panel of autistic people and say, wouldn't you wear this? And if they say, yeah, that looks comfortable, scrap it. They're going to get made. I get yep. People think I'm an undercover cop all the time, even though I've never worked yeah. with cops once in my life. Anyway, um, I would say, though, it does. It, it depends on how you wear it, depends on the shirt, depends on the matching, depends on the quality of the stuff you're wearing. Um, I think a shirt, tie, uh, some nice slacks, if it matches, if it fits well, if it's tailored, even without the jacket, looks really good if you have your face nice and trimmed all that stuff have a nice beard especially if you're in decent shape and you sort of fill out that shirt i'm not i, I i'm built like a like a sack of mashed potatoes but if you are it looks good but that's that that's neither here nor there i think the important Let's thing get the is straight back on track boys we've, yeah, we've, we've declared a couple of times already yeah don't 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 look like crap like don't it, it, like don't look like crap at your interview uh wear something Be comfortable, comfortable. And there's a balance. There's a wide range for that window. Um, what are some of the things you think would help you in interviews? Make it that employers could do to make interviews less crappy. Hmm. Uh, well, one thing I've noticed is a lot of interviewers will put us in rooms where the temperature is like too too hot, especially like they yeah, like you're being interrogated. Summertime, like. You got to match up with the outside temperature. If it's ninety degrees with a real feel of a hundred, I don't want to be in a room with heat on. Like put on the damn air conditioning. Like most of us can handle cold better than heat. Why like, so is it like every crazy. company has that like one room that's not air conditioned that's always ninety that's like eighty five degrees the regardless of the time of year? I think Why they do that, that on purpose as like oh, a side how we react. But it's a break you like you're being interrogated by the cops, like to break you down. Like let's see how you deal with being uncomfortable. Another thing is a lot of interviewers are always late. Like they make you wait around, and I don't like that because it just kind of shows unprofessionality on your part. Like I get yeah. you're trying to somewhat you're you're probably testing our patients. Maybe you are in a rush. You had a bunch of interviews, and some of them went late. 
but someone's got to at least set, put us in a room to sit down. Don't have me standing by the door like a like, a, like this one interview I did a few weeks ago. Well, I had to wait at the front door for like 15 minutes for the person to show up. Yeah, here's a here's a little pro tip too. Uh, if your interviewer is more than about five minutes late, just leave because that's indicated that's indication that the that the ship they're running is incredibly chaotic, and you're probably not going to deal well with that because there's going to be no structure. Because that is incredibly you know, rude. If the interviewee actually met you coming in and they say, "I'll meet you down in the room," if it takes more than five minutes after they introduce themselves, after you bumped into them already, that's a problem. I've left. I've had interviews yeah. where I've just after like like I wait. I do the thing I like to do in college, where like professors like ten minutes late you can leave, you can legally leave. If they're like ten minutes late, I leave because I'm like, okay, you clearly don't value my time. You're not going to value my time as an employee. Like unless yeah. you're paying me the life changing money, which none of these jobs are because we're brunts, it's not worth it. I get it. Sometimes things go wrong, and that's why there needs to be a source of communication. Like it. Like, you at least have to, someone at the job has to at least alert me that something is going on, so I'm not sitting there unknowing. That would help a lot. That at least says you value me enough to understand that you're not doing this intention. What about you, Henry? What are some of the things you, you, you wish uh, interviewers would do? Honestly, depending on the job, because most of my job has been service-related, uh, if you're going to be working pretty much on the floor a lot of the time, don't take the interviewer, don't take the uh, person you're interviewing into the back room because that's not the environment they're going to be working in. Take them out on the floor or take them onto a regular spot in the area and just ask them there. I get it. There's some sort of professionalism, but if they're going to be stocking shelves, do it like meet up in the place they're going to be. Uh, no, I, I agree. That's a good point. Like there needs to, they need to have an idea of what the environment's going to look like. Obviously, there are limits. If the environment is very loud and chaotic, can't really conduct an interview there. But if that's all possible, at least give them yeah. a tour of the place them and get them, allow them to have a feel of what it's going to be like working there. I can honestly, I can honestly say my better interviews were the ones where the interviewee did that specifically. You know, there was kind of this doing away of the formality. It's like, listen, this is the job. This is what we're going to do. This is what you're going to do. I'd like you to get a feel of that. No, and I, they were straight through. I like that. But I also think you could take that too far. Like I interviewed for a job that Ryan worked at because Ryan convinced me this place was awesome. I never said it was awesome. I just said you'd be I just said you get a job. You you would like it. You told me I would like it there. So what happened is they did all of the red flags. The interviewer showed up 10 minutes late. Normally I would leave. I'm like, I trust Ryan. He said it's a place cool. Then they tried to interview me and they tried to both interview me and train me simultaneously. So they were asking me basic interview questions while also trying to teach me how to do the individual tasks, which made think that was probably the only interview where I didn't, I, I'm normally really good at interviews. That was the only interview I've ever done bad because I had to basically do two things at once. So if, if you're, if, if you have the employer who's watching this, don't do that. Don't try to do the training and the interview at the same time. Needless to say, this job was incredibly chaotic, and this is the job where I got fired in like three days because I just couldn't handle it. And I went in on that third day, and I was like, "Please, Lord, I hope they fire me because I don't want to quit because I need the money, but I also don't want to be here." And the boss met me at the door and door and said, "We're afraid we're gonna have to let you go." And I should have been professional, but instead I was like, "Oh, thank God!" That's exactly what I said. When, when the boss was like, "I was like, oh, thank God!" 
I was like, I was, I was like, I'm, I, I was like, I'm not even gonna hold you. If you didn't fire me today, I was gonna quit tomorrow. Like, I just I can't do this. So, uh, those some red flags, and I think those that's some good points on things to make uh, interviews better. I got one more point. I want to make this one real fast. A lot of places that the interviewers will take you to go, that's to sit and interview, are these, well, not only is it bad temperature, they're just like these bland, ugly rooms that really don't give a good impression of the facility. Like, I'd almost rather they take me out into the actual business itself and conduct the interview so I can see what's going on instead of just sitting in a white, in a plain white office at a desk wondering what's happening next. Yeah. I think it's also kind of indicative of uh, how much they waste space. You mean, you know, like you have all these operations, things going on, and you have this one room that's sitting unused except for an interview. It's like you're not using that. For or they send else. you to a closet, like a tiny little office closet that's too cluttered. Yeah. Yeah, and then they complain they don't have enough things happening, or they don't have enough uh, space here or there. Well, we don't have storage for this. Oh, we're running out of space for this, and it's like you have a whole interview room that's empty. Use it. So what are some of the things you do to hopefully have a better interview? Because you we, we know all these problems and we know needs aren't being accommodated, but what are some of the things you do to make it so you seem presentable so you can actually get a job and, you know, have food and a roof over your head? I hate to say it, but it's practice. You got to just do a bunch of them. Yeah, that's the really best way to do it. Uh you got to get a feel of it. You're not going to, let's be honest, your first few interviews are probably going to be rough. You're going to stink in the first one for sure. Cause you don't, you don't know what you're doing. It happens. You, you gotta, you gotta get better like any other situation. And, and honestly, that's what I did. Like due to a combination of incompetence and crippling alcoholism, I constantly found myself out of jobs and looking for new ones. So what that did was it gave me a chance to interview and basically hone my craft and get better. Because remember, you don't have to accept a job you apply to. There's no guarantee they'll even give you an offer. Wait, you, you don't? don't? <laughs> that took me like a decade to figure that out, that I don't have to take every job that's offered to me. Yeah, but that's that's why you can always interview with some places you may not be 100% comfortable with. Because half the interview is trying to understand the company as well. So there's red flags. You can always just peace out and never talk to them again. See, my issue is, especially when I was younger, right, right out of college, I kind of felt like, well, I need a job because I don't have a lot of money. I need a job. I need a job. I need a job. So what I do is apply for just random jobs, just blast apply. I didn't even remember half the jobs I applied for. I get some emails back, and first I go, wait, who the hell are these people? And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I applied to them like six months ago. And because I'm naturally good at talking, I'm actually one of the rare artistics that's really good at interviews. And the problem with that is I would constantly talk myself into jobs I was, un I was underqualified for, get hired, fail miserably, and get fired, and then sort of just repeat that cycle every few months for like a decade. And this may seem like bad advice, but you know what? If you got to take a shot before an interview to calm your nerves, you know, just don't go crazy with it. Oh, yeah. Smoke a cigarette beforehand if you have to. Just don't, just know your limits. But yeah, do what you have to do to calm yourself down if nerves are a real issue for interviews because oh, yeah. people pick up on that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, they will. Uh, especially if you're nervous, like uh, depending on the interviewer, some might recognize it and have some mercy. That's probably not gonna happen. Some of the, there's a better chance that they're probably going to lean or push on that. Someone will constantly straight up call you out on it. I know one guy did for me. He said oh, he yeah. liked my qualifications, but I was too, I was very nervous in the interview. That's, 
fucked up, dude. I know, and you also can't just tell them anything. And this was, I assume this wasn't for a job that involved, like, excellent sociable skills, right? No, this is for a dog daycare place, something I'd already done a couple times before. So You don't really need to be able to talk to people who work with animals. So he was like, I like your qualifications. I think you'd be great for the job. But because you don't meet these societal uh, standards that have nothing to do with the job. I don't think it was more that. I think it was more just he wanted me to, like, talk more in the interview. But it's like you work with you're working with dogs. Last I checked, dogs can't talk. They just bark incessantly. You don't need to you don't need to be able to talk at all. Yeah, but that's part of the problem. A lot of these old school interviewers or interviewers, they want you to hold on to that standard of yes, yep. we need you to make eye contact. We need you to do the thing that would get you killed in the animal kingdom. Yeah, exactly. Remember, direct eye contact is a sign of aggression for like almost every animal species ever. But, oh, that's, but that's what our society likes, especially for men. They like this idea that you're strong, you're virile, you're... You need to have the firm handshake. But you also understand where you are in the hierarchy, so you know when to be deferential as well. It's unfortunately kind of an odd confliction, because they want you to be that dominant male that comes into the room. But they also, like you pointed out, they also want you to understand, hey, you're below me, so don't... Like, you, you're my... I need you to be a strong... A strong man, but you're also my bitch. I need you to. I need you to be able to play. But I need you to be a switch. I need you to be able. There's our second BDSM reference of the episode. I need you to be able to be a switch and play both roles for me. That's essentially no, what they're. You're grunt. You're just a bitch. <laughs> Let's face it. They want you to look tough in the interview and then throw that out the window as soon as. You yeah, throw it completely out the window. Except, yeah. but we also want you to take initiative. Like we know we told you to do X, Y, and Z, but we also want you to do A, B, C, which we didn't tell you. But we want you to show initiative because it shows you care. But make sure it's the right sort of initiative because if you do the wrong stuff, I'm going to get mad because I didn't tell you to do those things. Exactly. It's a it's definitely a balance. And a lot of people, I think a lot of autistics fall in that that opening period. They get they, Especially if the interviewer knows if you are, you'll probably get judged harsher by some of them. That's yeah. why you shouldn't have to say anything. Oh, yeah. But that can also backfire on you in case you maybe there is a sympathetic business owner. I don't know. It could be. Pigs can fly, you know? It could happen. Yeah, I think we should start uh, bringing this in. Um, but before we go, is there any last thoughts on this topic that either you'd like to give? Um, I guess I'll start with Henry. Hmm. Well, I guess all in a way I'd say, remember the point I mentioned about don't be afraid if the situ- if it doesn't go well, if you screw up an interview unless it's something like you really really want in which case i say don't make that your first interview i'd say try to build up to that job if you can if that's a possibility build up to it to where you're more comfortable doing interviews that's the one you want to go well but understand the first ones they're going to be rough you're going to be figure like ryan said you're going to be figuring out a lot of things you're going to be building up your experience with it you will get better with time but you kind like uh, I really, really hate to use the the guy as a reference, but as Jack Dorsey once said, or was it Zuckerberg? One of those two assholes basically said the only way to get good with something, but like say for instance Taekwondo or Jiu Jitsu, is you're gonna have to get ready to be beaten up a bit, and on some level you have to ready yourself for that. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be awkward. You're going to really want to. In, your, in some cases, you might have to recover from that, but it is something you're going to have to tackle. And uh, really, if I could say, if you could get 
if you could get uh, used or, or comfortable with that, you're going to do a lot better. I, I think that's, and, and we'll, get, we'll get to Ryan, and Ryan, I guess you could use this, this, to, to sort of, this time to sort of formulate your answer. I think a big problem is how autistic people think is we don't always have like the natural beats and flows of a conversation. I mean, I, I generally have had those things because I suck at literally everything else. That's like my one thing I'm good at. Um, and also I edit these podcasts, so I get to hear a lot of stuff. So for example, you, Ryan, and I wonder if this is a problem in the interview, is it that you don't have enough to say or you do this thing where a lot of, some autistic people do this, where you'll talk stop and then continue what you were going to say usually one so for example uh you'll say i your sentence you'll use is i want to go to the store to buy some eggs and how sometimes you'll say it on camera is i want to go to the store to buy some eggs and generally when someone has that pause it means they're done so other people will then jump in and speak as opposed to what most people do and what a lot of autistic people do. And like I said, I noticed this because I edit the podcast. So I hear all different types of voices. And they'll say, I'm going to go to the store to buy some eggs. Like they'll stretch it out because that indicates that they still have more to say. So I'm wondering if sometimes maybe you, you say the sentence, people think you're done, and then they jump down your throat and come in with other sentences. And then they say, oh, you're not talking enough because they're jumping down your throat. They're not giving you a chance to actually process the words to say everything you want to say. Um, I can't say I've had that experience. Like when it comes to interviews, I'm usually pretty good at not having those unnecessarily long pauses between sentences. It's just that, yeah, you know, you really got to watch out for that. You, you can't have any pauses or the interviewer is going to think it's their time to talk. You definitely ask a lot of questions too. You got to have a lot of pre-planned questions for the interviewer. So you don't end you don't end too early because if you if you don't have any questions they're gonna think you weren't focused or don't care. Some pre-planned questions usually do uh, help out. And it's important questions too. What's what's the starting salary? Like maybe what are some benefits? You know what are my hours going to be if I do get this job? I definitely think it's a good point to have like a what's the term for it? Have just some boilerplate questions that you could ask. You know like ten off the top of your head that you can either pick and choose from i hate when they ask the questions how i usually do it is and this is like the journalism background i'm looking for red flags so i'm waiting for him to say or her to say something that i think is a red flag and i'll call them out this is why interviewers kind of hate me because when they ask a question i actually use it so i'm like uh if i notice they haven't actually told me like how the job is a big question i like to ask is what does a regular day look like because they have trouble answering that, or they give you they give you an answer like uh, sometimes a little hectic. They say sometimes a little hectic. It means it's a clusterfuck. That's what that means. And if they, especially if they're if that's if it takes them aback, like oh, I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting someone to actually ask me this question. Definitely, I'd say that should be one of the. I think uh, that's a fantastic point. That's one of the first questions I think you should definitely bring up. Or if they don't explain it, like you said bring it in but in terms of what i said in terms of boilerplate questions that should be one of them like that needs to be one of them because i have worked in places that were a hot mess i have worked in places where i really should have asked that in the interview but i did not and i found out the hard way that it was exactly what you said hectic overwork overload of tasks it, it, so, exactly exactly i'm glad you guys brought that up so 
Uh, Ryan, any last things you'd like to say? I got, I got a tip. Yeah. If you really, really want a job, send a follow-up email to the employer. Usually within one to two weeks of the interview, if you don't hear anything, because that tells the employer that you're still interested. And if they're, if they have a lot of going on right now, we can help remind them that, Hey, I haven't gotten back to this person yet. And that actually did happen with me and how I got my new job. I did send the follow-up and they were like they really appreciated that but the, only if you really want the job don't do it for something you're not sure about don't think you have to do it no that's good because they, they that that's a good advice because a lot of employers want you to show initiative but yeah um I'm really gonna bring this in uh once again thank you guys for being on and I think I'm at some point in the near future I want to get us three together again to do an episode on like college and university because we face a lot of the same issues but also some different issues and I am all three of us at least spent some significant amount of time in college so I'd like us to to go over that but yeah um I hope you guys enjoyed this I know it's a little bit different um but I hope you got some help out of this and I think we can all agree that we need to seize the means production and billionaires should be illegal don't forget to like <laughs> subscribe and hit the bell yeah, exactly. I don't think we have a bell on Podbean, which is our hosting site. But yeah, uh, subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Download it. Post us on social media. Get us friendly with the algorithm. If you know someone who has an autistic young adult who's looking for work, send them this podcast. Uh, yeah, just just help us get the word out there because it's an issue that's facing a lot of autistic people, and there isn't quite enough information about it especially from perspective of autistic people who aren't working like specialized jobs like just because most of us are just grunts we're average people we're just like me we're just like you like we really are like we're working normal people jobs we're all cogs in the machine to give a ceo a new car essentially yeah and make sure you read das capital and take a bud light <laughs> this is christ dude see ya <laughs>